Please, if you'll bow your heads and hearts with me. Father, we just want to say thank you again for the privilege, God, the absolute honor that we get to come into your throne room. Thank you that just as we sang, God, you will never fail, Lord. It's the one thing you can't do, Lord, that even when we're faithless, you remain faithful, Lord, because you can't deny who you are. Thank you, Lord, for being faithful in our lives. And I pray tonight, Lord, as we read your word, that you would bring about order into our lives where there may seem to be disorder, where there may seem to be uh, chaos and confusion. Lord, would you bring clarity? And assured confidence that you're with us. We pray tonight for our missionaries, Lord, from Run to Rescue. We pray that you just continue to give them vision, Lord, that you too would give them clarity in the midst of perhaps some of the, their confusion or chaos in their world. And God, would you show yourself strong on their behalf, Lord? Give them vision, give them direction, Lord, give them grace. And we pray that as those backpacks are brought in here this week, and as they go out, Lord, that they would reach exactly who you want them to reach, Lord, that you would minister to those that are pained. Um, and so Lord, we just ask for that healing by your divine hand. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, again, I'm so glad you're here. If you open up your Bibles again to first Timothy chapter two, if you're with us last week, uh, pastor Rob kicked off the series in first Timothy. And so if you were here for chapter one, we'll do a little recap on that, but I've got a couple questions for you. I'm going to assume tonight that all of us have eaten before we got here. So if I talk about food, nobody's going to get hangry, right? Just want to make sure we're okay. All right. So I've got two questions for you. You're going to turn to a person here in just a second. So we're going to just have a little bit of some discussion. I'm a teacher by nature, so I do this kind of stuff. So if you're uncomfortable with that, you know. Um, Two questions. What's your favorite place to eat? And what do you like to order there? So what's your favorite restaurant you like to attend? And again, what do you like to order? I give it to them real. So you got 30 seconds, though, for each person. So 30 seconds for you, Al. That's all you get, okay? 30 seconds. And then the other person gets 30 seconds. You got one minute. Y'all ready? Give me a thumbs up if we're all good in the hood. We good? All right, you got one minute. Go for it. All right, let me have your attention. Trying to see what kind of troublemakers we got out in my classroom here. I think I got Jeff Nessler in the back in the peanut gallery. He's kind of a troublemaker. I got to meet with Vern here up in front. You might remember he came up last week and prayed, and he says he likes to go to the harbor, right? And he likes salmon. So Vern, I think Vern's going to take me out to salmon here next week, I'm thinking, I hope. Um, for me, I think one of my favorite places has got to be In-N-Out, right? So, I mean, just about all of us like In-N-Out, I know. And if you're, that's right, there you go, there you go. I mean, you, you must have been there if you're saved. I mean, if you're sane. Uh, I know you've been to In-N-Out. I love In-N-Out. Um, it's not my favorite place, I have to say. I'll tell you that later on. But one of my favorite places is In-N-Out. And when I go there, I like to order some of that stuff that's not on their menu, right? They call it the secret menu, you know what I'm talking about? And so I like to get my fries, of course. The Neapolitan Shake. Right? You may not know there's a Neapolitan. They don't have it up there. They just have the vanilla, whatever, chocolate. But you can combine it all. And then, of course, I like that double-double. Um, but it's a, it's a mustard fry. Anybody know what a mustard fry is? Uh, okay, so now, see, I'm giving you some information you can use. Okay? If you don't get anything else out of it tonight, remember, just mustard fry. And so mustard fry, and then it's hold that special sauce. It ain't special to me. Anything made with mayonnaise is, should be part of that list in the book of Acts that, you know, is forbidden food or whatever. But... And then I do the mustard and ketchup and then grilled onions, grilled onions. So a few weeks ago, my family and I had the opportunity to go to In-N-Out and we order our food. We get everything. I go to the table you know, dad's carrying three trays. The kids are just looking at me like, what if he's going to drop anything? And so we get there and I'm passing everything out. Everybody gets their sandwich. You can kind of see what's in there. And I get mine and I realize right away it's missing something important. It does not have my grilled onions, right? Because, you know, I got grilled onions usually oozing out the side of the thing. And so the more grilled onions, the better, right? Okay. So... I say to myself, okay, no problem. I'll just go up to the counter. It's not a big deal. 
I'm going to make it. Okay. And I said, uh, I'll probably just get another sandwich or whatever. So I go up there and I said to the lady, Hey, can you help me? And she says, yeah, what's, 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 what's wrong with your order? I said, I didn't get in my grilled onions. She goes, well, where's your sandwich? Now that kind of struck me already. Cause maybe I have one of those faces that you don't, you don't trust. Right. So she's like, want to know where the sandwich is at. Right. So I said, it's at my table. I said, so I escorted it to the table. And then she says to me, and I said, here's, here's a sandwich. And she says, um, she says, can you open up the sandwich for me? I'm thinking, okay, here we go. All right. So I said, I'll tell you what, you got a tool. And she says, what do you need a tool for? I'm thinking I got to pry this sandwich apart, right? There's melted cheese. I was just kidding. I didn't say that. I said, um, I said, no problem. Open up the cheese. And there was not a, you know, but maybe like one tiny little grilled onion on there. She says, I'm so sorry. She says, I think they tried. They just didn't get the whole thing on there. I said, you're kidding me, right? Yeah, absolutely. So she gives me my grilled onions and she leaves me with the order and I'm happy as, as, as a clam now. And she says, I'm hoping that you're happy now with your, um, that your order is correct. And I'm thinking, you mean corrected, right? Cause uh, you know, but I, I didn't say that to her. No, I was just happy. I got my, my fries, but you know, I often think to myself, I don't think in and out is the only one that ever gets our orders wrong. I think sometimes we get God's orders wrong. Don't we? Right. We, we have his instruction booklet, right? The basic instructions before leaving earth, right? The Bible. And sometimes we, we don't get God's orders, right? Either maybe because we're not listening and we're not interested or we hear them and we hear just the, sometimes what our kids do, right? Which is just the, right? And God wants us to come in with a place of saying, you know, Lord, not only do I want to know what you're ordering, um, but I want to receive it, right? You tell me and I'll do it. And so tonight, I want to invite you just to a place tonight of just being able to say, God, what do you have on order? What do you want? You know, it's not Burger King. It's not my way. Okay. God, it's your way. What do you, what do you want? And so tonight we're going to look at some difficult parts of some passages. Um, some things, quite frankly, that have been uh, hard to translate in some people, areas of the Bible. Um, and sometimes things that have been just simply misinterpreted and even misused and even abused. And so we're going to look at some difficult passages. I don't know how far we'll get tonight, to be quite honest with you. But I want to make the first part of our section tonight and give it the high priority. And Paul actually says that. He says, first of all. And so that right there grabs my attention. We're going to pick that up in just a minute. So if you've got your places marked, you'll notice in the very chapter 2, verse 1, he says, right, I urge you then, first of all. So I want to make sure we hit the first of all tonight. We'll just see what time we have after that. Sound okay with you all? Okay. That's what we're going to go. We're, we're going to roll tonight. So again, my question I ask you tonight, if you're taking notes again, uh, if not, you're not going to get an A, I assure you. But if you are going to take notes, I'll have some questions intermittently and you can write those down and use them as a time of um, some, maybe some introspection and reflection. Amen. That first one there, if you remember is, I wonder how often God or that we get God's orders wrong. Okay. So in saying that though, I'd like to suggest to you that one way that we often find, or at least that I find in my own life, um, that suggests that, that I got the orders wrong is when I end up having what I would call a disordered life, right? And that's not meant to just be cute or a play on words, but I honestly, in my own life, I find that when things, you know, I don't have God's orders right, there's, there's quite a bit of disorder. And so I want to make a, a, a premise or a disclaimer. I'm not here tonight that if you or I are having problems, because we all got issues, right? Okay, we all have things. And that some of those things are out of our control, right? Some of those things that have just happened to us. It could be issues of health. It could be issues of broken relationships that no matter what we've tried to do, the Bible says to live at peace if possible, right, with all people. And sometimes it seems like, wow, it's just not possible, right? I'm doing everything I can. So I'm not talking about the things tonight that have to do with that are out of our control. 
but rather the things that we have some sense of executive agency over, right? Some, say, some sense of control over. Are you okay on that? So I want to make sure that's really clear because I'm not suggesting for a moment that there's any disorder in your life that is because of, you know, your fault. I want to be clear about that. So, but I am suggesting tonight that there are some things in my life, perhaps in your life, where there's some um, disorder because of the way we've gotten God's order wrong. You okay with that? Okay. So I would like to suggest to you tonight that a lot of the reason for that same chaos or confusion or lack of clarity, if you will, okay, I love alliterations, is... Because of three key dangers, we've either taken our orders from self, from society, or directly from Satan, right? And I don't mean directly to him, but rather his worldly system. And so again, if you're taking notes, I would argue that a lot of times we've been disordered, we feel a semblance of disorder, is we've got, we've taken our cues, right? You with me? Our orders from either self, okay? My own selfishness, perhaps society, our culture, and or even um, Satan and his worldly devices. Y'all with me so far? Okay. So as I think about unpacking this passage here before us, I wanted to kind of re- revisit what, Paul, what uh, Rob shared last week as a, as a way of context. If you will, last week, you might remember that Paul, or uh, that Rob introduced this letter, right? And this is letter from the apostle whom? Paul A plus. You guys are Bible students, right? And he's writing, of course, his letter to Timothy, right? This would be his young protege. Uh, he's currently at a church in what city? Who's my new favorite student? Ephesus. Al, oh, there you go. And my new favorite, okay? Um, and so he's writing to young Timothy, and he's starting off saying, hey, listen, remember when I urged you? Right? Go look back at your Bibles there. Chapter 1, I believe it is. Uh, verse 3. Paul reminded Timothy how Paul had originally urged him, right, to remain there at Ephesus. Okay? Because when the going gets tough sometimes, right, we want to run, right? And so he says, listen, don't remind you of that word I gave you. And he says, listen, I know that things have been difficult there, and you're facing some opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you remember last week, uh, our beloved pastor outlined for us some of the teachings that were going on there, right? Uh, that were contrary to the teachings of Christ, the emphasis of the law, and not to mention some, rather, some, some cases of immorality. And so he reminds Timothy saying, hey, listen, man, I need you to stand in the gap. And if you remember at the last part of that chapter, he says to fight the fight well. Do you remember that? Okay. And so I remind us of that because we're going to get to a passage of scripture where there's a therefore, right? So look at chapter one, verse one, if you would read that with me. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Chapter two, verse one, Paul writes there. Remember, there were never chapter breaks in the original letter. And Paul writes again to Timothy and says, therefore, so therefore is therefore for a reason, I exhort you, um, sorry, let me grab my, my passage looks a little different here. Therefore, I exhort you, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. I pause you there because he says, I exhort you. Some of your translations say, I urge you. So Paul, again, is urging Timothy. He's finding something that is absolutely imperative that Timothy gets, and by extension, that we get. In fact, he goes on and says, first of all. And so Paul is writing about something, but he inserts a therefore because in that previous chapter, he says something to draw the therefore out. And there are a couple of things that, that scholars talk about here is why Paul might use the word therefore is it's in light of the fact that he tells, that Paul tells Timothy, hey, listen, this gospel of Jesus Christ, it is absolutely powerful. It took me, right, the chief of sinners and radically changed my life. God took me from the guttermost to the uttermost. 
Read with me in chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. This is more of a recap from last week. Paul writes, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his eminence, patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul is holding himself up, not because he thinks he's all that in a bag of chips, but he's holding himself saying, listen, if God could take me from the guttermost to the uttermost, he can do that with anyone else. Timothy, I need you to stand in the gap. I need you to know that these aren't wasted words. That is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so Paul is reminding Timothy saying, I need you to fight the fight. Well, that was, I think it was, that was chapter one uh, at the very end there. And so Paul picks it up here and he's about to tell you and I, by extension, the church, how we can fight well. That is how we can live in a place of order, right? In a place of following the gospel here in our day and age in the church. And so let's pick it up. We're going to read the whole passage. We're going to break it up into three parts here in a minute. We're going to focus primarily on verses one through seven. Let me go ahead and read that for us. It says, I urge then, first of all, Again, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a truth and faithful teacher of the, of the Gentiles. Verse eight. It may seem that Paul's kind of going off here for a minute, but uh, again, he's bringing order to some of the disorder there in the church. He says, therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. And then verse 11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. He was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Verse 15 will end here. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. So you can see very quickly, right, that these are some difficult passages, right? Especially in our day and culture, right? You're all probably thinking, what's he going to say, <laughs> right? Um, how's he going to interpret this? Well, listen, I, we trust God. And I tell you what, I just know that God wants to just simply give his orders. What you and I decide to do with them is, is up to us. But I'm just going to kind of lay out for us without inserting uh, culture and my own opinion, just the word of God. So tonight, let's drink deeply. Can I remind you tonight <clears throat> that as we think about coming and approaching God's word, I want to remind you how easy it is to dismiss those things that are familiar, right? Familiarity often breeds. I already know that. I'm already doing that. Let's move on. Tonight, we're going to hear some familiar things, but I want to ask you tonight to really lean into what God may have for you tonight. We're told in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 24, that wisdom is in the sight. It's before them. It's in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. That is, the fool can't see what's directly in front of them. And so tonight, can we just come with a posture that says, God, I'm open. I'm listening. What do you have for me? What are your orders? Are you okay with that, church? Let's do that tonight, right? 
So as we pick it up, let's pick it up first of all, what I would call the priority, right? We read there again in chapter two, verse one. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made to all men. It's interesting as we kind of outline here, if you're taking notes, I want to talk briefly about these first seven verses as being the priority of prayer. If you're taking notes, the variety of prayer, the objects of prayer, the reasons of prayer, and the attitude in prayer. We'll come back to those in a minute, but I want to begin with the priority of prayer. Paul says again, first of all, and when he says these words, it's interesting to me when I think about this, but no one will ever make a request. No one's ever going to make a prayer unless a sense of need has already been awakened, right? A desire has been awakened. So tonight, maybe the posture of our hearts tonight is just starting with God. Make me hungry and thirsty. Make me hungry and thirsty, right? Your word tells us that, um, you know, in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand, right? Our pleasures forevermore, right? And so I encourage you tonight that perhaps it's just as Lord, would you stir my heart? Would you just start with just the desires? The Bible says that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of his heart. And the idea there isn't again, that God would, we would say, okay, God, I'm going to make myself happy in you. So uh, where's the Porsche, right? It's not that it's God. I want what you want. What are your orders? I want what you delight in. And I want you to take that and put that right in here. And so tonight, maybe that's just the prayer of our hearts. That first of all, that just says, God, my heart's not in the right place. Maybe I'm not even praying, but I'm trusting you tonight that you love me enough to send me this message. And you love me enough to help me to get my life ordered correctly. And so Paul here reminds us that there's an awakening that needs to occur. I would imagine with Timothy, maybe it was a kind of a, a revamping, right? A reordering recognizing there was just absolute chaos in his church to some degree. And he's going, I don't even know where to begin. I'm ready to pack up things. And Paul says, I urge you stay where you're at, fight the fight. And he says, but first of all, let's get on our knees. Amen. And so this is why prayer must be made for all. God wants all men. And I say, man, I mean, mankind, that's men and women. And so therefore, so must his church. The word all is used five times in seven verses, right? And when you're studying the Bible, when you hear something repeated five times in seven verses, you know that you know that you know that this person wants to get a point across. And so Paul begins to use words like all men. And so this is God's heart. So it should be the heartbeat of our own. Number two, the question I've got for you there before we move on is, is prayer the priority in your life? Is it really the first thing? Is it really your first go-to? If I'm being honest here tonight, there are many times, right? I start in trying to figure out an issue or a problem or solve, you know, whatever it might be with my own intuition, right? My own wisdom, right? And I think, man, how much more the father just urges us to come away with him, right? Call to me and I will answer. Proverbs chapter 25, verse two, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible says, again, I've shared this before, but it says that, It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of his kids to search it out. That he's put something within the human heart, right? To seek, right? And we're told that when we seek with all our heart, it's there in that place that he'll be found. Amen. And so tonight, let's just even begin with a posture of saying, Lord, I'm just going to be honest. Prayer is not a priority in my life. I know what you've ordered, but I'm kind of off right now. There's some disorder going on, but God, I want my life to be aligned with you. He uses the term prayers and he starts the first one off and he says supplications. It's interesting that word supplication is the idea. If you're taking notes of offering a request for a felt need. So it's not just merely intellectually, like kind of going through the motions, 
but it's this idea of, of something traveling, if you will, from the head to the heart, right? The 18 inches, right? The longest distance in the world where God is saying, I want what's in here, right? To get down and make its way down in here. So that as you're crying out to God, it's from this deep seated part of you, right? It's almost like this, what some of the old pastors used to call this unction, right? It's almost like from your gut. And there's sometimes we pray like that, right? Because we're, we're that, yeah, we're that much in need. But God is reminding us, and Paul's reminding Timothy, hey, as we make this a priority in our lives, let's go ahead and move towards a place of wanting to experience and feel what God feels. And so he uses the term supplications. And so it's the idea of moving from reluctance and indifference, right, to all man, right, as we're praying for those in our, our what we'd call a kind of our, our circle, to moving from reluctance and even indifference at sometimes to a place where there's a sense of unction. The second type of thing he mentions here, if you're reading, he says, he says supplications and then prayers. And you might be thinking, isn't that really just the same thing? Well, the word in English, we don't quite get. And so we're going to do some etymology here. I love word studies. It's actually this idea of a sacredness of prayer. It's a sacredness of prayer. In fact, the word is prosuke, prosuke. I'm sorry, I didn't have any notes here for you, Mark. Sorry. Or slides. Okay, next time. Um, But the word here is prosuke, and it's this idea, and this is what's really interesting. It's not this other Greek word called desis, and you might say, what's the difference? Desis has this idea of prayers or requests that are simply made, made known to either man or God, right? So it's just like, hey, a simple request. Not this word. Prosuke is the idea. It says something only used when one approaches God right? It's when one, it's a sacredness of sorts. And there are certain needs which only God can satisfy. Amen. There is a strength, which all alone he can give a forgiveness, which only he can grant a certainty, which only he can bestow. And it may well be that our weaknesses haunt us because we so often take our needs to the wrong place. We so often take our needs, right? And we take directions and cues from self or society. And so our order orders are wrong. And as a result, as I said before, we're living a disordered life. The third type of prayer he mentions is the word intercessions. And we've may have heard this before. I think your translations may say petition. It's the idea to draw near to a person and converse confidently with them. Right? It's this idea of conversing confidently. So Paul is urging Timothy, amen, press into God, converse confidently. He's a confidant. He's a friend. Go towards him. This word is actually in tuxis is what it is. We translate it again as petition. When it was first originally meant in some of the texts, it simply meant this idea of to fall in, right? Or to take orders. But it's actually so much more than that. So when you are making intercessions or petitions, it's more than just that you're making orders, right? According to the orders you received. It's this idea of went on to, to explain intimate conversation with, the, with a person. So much so that eventually this word was used as it is here. This is so cool to enter into a King's presence and to submit petition. One of my very favorite verses in the Bible. I know I've got a lot of them. Hebrews four sixteen. Therefore come what boldly turn to your neighbor, say boldly Tell your other neighbor and say, be bold. That's right. It says, therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain Mercy and find grace to help in time of how many of y'all are in time of need. We may not even recognize that we're in time of need, 
But God wants us to be in a place of need all the time. So that our first of all, it goes is right to our knees. The father delights in giving good gifts to his kids, doesn't he? I remind us here tonight that God is not um, perturbed by our prayer requests. He's not looking at him going, well, I'll see if I can get to that. But he's inviting us into his throne room. Doors are open. We're his kids, right? We're climbing up on his lap, if you will. And he's saying, tell me what's on your heart. And oftentimes, maybe the better request or prayer is, Lord, what's on your heart? Maybe that's something, a word for some of us here tonight. That so quickly we're prone to, you know, talk about our, our needs. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just wondering if something would change in the heart of, of some of us tonight where our request again, that is our prayer became, God, what's on your heart? What does your heart beat for? Lord, would you enlarge my heart for the things that, that enlarge your heart? How many of you found that as you begin to pray, that God begins to, to move in action, right, in your lives. He begins to move you in action, even as you're praying for other people. You know what I'm talking about? And so Paul's reminding Timothy of these things because he's talking about a need that they have, an express need in their church, where Timothy is at the end of himself and going, hey, this is beyond my pay grade, man. I'm not sure I've been trained by this. And so Paul's in this place of reminding him, hey, listen, man, you got access to the throne of grace, right? You've got access to, you've got to get the direct line, if you will, right, to God. And so the question I've got here before we move on to the fourth type of prayer is, how do you approach God in prayer? How do you approach God in prayer? I'm just going to ask you to write that down. Give us some thought a little later. But do you really approach him with that boldness? Do you approach him like that kid that goes to their parent, right? Without pretension. Just like, hey, I pooped my pants. God, you know, what am I going to do in this situation? You know? I'm sorry, I was a middle school teacher. <laughs> that comes out sometimes. So... But, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I mean, does God really want us to come to that place of saying, God, I've got everything jacked up and messed up. I'm just, I'm just real and raw. I, I need you to fix this. I think that's the heart of our father as he delights to give good gifts to his kids. The fourth type of prayer he talks about here is this idea of giving of thanks. And this is a cool word. It's actually the word Eucharistia. Is that recognize, you recognize that? Someone said it. All right, my Catholic homies, okay, from back in the day. Yeah, Eucharist, right? It speaks of communion. That even the idea of communion, the Eucharist, is, is thanksgiving to God. And so Paul is coupling in this idea of, hey, Timothy, don't forget about thanksgiving. Don't forget about what, what, what thankfulness does, right, as a remedy to the soul of bitterness, right? Or, uh, or fear or anxiety. And so Paul uses this word, Eucharistia which again, it would be translated as Thanksgiving. And I would say to this, why would Paul talk about giving thanks? I think the next few verses spelled it out for us. It's we're told that, as we'll find out here in a minute, that Christ died for all. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, right? Everyone that he gave us his son. And Paul's going to jump right into that. And he's going to get into a doxology of sorts, right? A praise session, over why we need to be thankful. None is outside his prayers. For no one is outside the love of Christ. No one's outside the purpose of God. Who wishes all men to be what? Saved. Does your prayer life consist of thanksgiving and celebration? Is that a normal part of your prayer life? Or perhaps that's just all you're there doing at that moment, right? Is you're exhausting your mind with the infinite goodness of God. So we talked about again, <clears throat> the priority of prayer. We talked about here now about the objects of prayer. 
which leads us into our, our point here, as we mentioned, about all men. His objects of prayer, number one, are all men. No one's outside the reach of God. I love this quote from Father Gregory Boyle out of Homeboy Industries. I just took my, plate, my students down there. We ate at Homegirl Cafe. Excellent food, by the way. Um, and he says this. As he's worked often with the marginalized, the off-scouring of society, right? Those that most of people have tossed and thrown away. And he says this. Here's what we seek. A compassion, a deep felt need, God's heart. Whereby we stand in awe at what others have to carry. Rather than stand in judgment of how they carry it. Wow. I wonder if the people we began to think along the lines of God and how he thinks towards his people and towards others, right? Where we'd be moved away from a place of reluctance and indifference to a place where, man, our heart just begins to literally just get bigger. It begins to grow for the things that, that grow in God's heart. Our lives, like others, are often disordered, right? Some of the people that we often, again, marginalize are often disordered and are suffering from disorders, literally, Fortunately, God has provided the remedy of the healing balm of his love. We're told in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, he's the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Amen. That's right. And that his kindness leads us to repentance, doesn't it? Right? God has a remedy, right? For times where we feel like our lives are disordered. But he goes on from there and he says specifically as a parenthetical, he says, not just pray for all men, but I also want you to pray for who? Kings, right? We would call them presidents, those in authority of any kind, politically or otherwise. And so there's a little parenthetical here, and I think it's important for us to, to realize this in our day and age, right? When we're at so much odds in our culture politically, right? Whether on one side of the, the room or the other, that is, you know, one side of the uh, um, you know, line or the other, the red or the blue. But Paul reminds us the reason why. He says, basically, the idea is because they preeminently need our prayers. We know this is because they wield both power for evil and for good, right? What a heavy weight of responsibility some of these folks have. Number two, they're exposed to many dangers. And number three, they're liable to great temptations. And so I would encourage you as you begin to think about praying for all people, that even for those that we might think of, man, they can never get saved, right? I imagine they probably thought that way about Paul. Or how about the story of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Or Emperor Constantine. Or you fill in the blank, right? Those people in your lives, you think, I never thought they would have gotten saved. And Paul's reminding us how they really desperately need our prayers, namely for the exponential impact they have on society. John Piper writes a comment on this verse when he warns, he gives the warning that Jesus gave in Matthew 24 when he says, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness, lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. May it not be said, folks of Calvary Vista, that we made any contribution to the destruction of the world, right? Through things like icy hate. But let it be said of the Christians at Calvary and of all Christians, behold how they love one another. Look how they do good to those who hate them. Look how they bless those who curse them. Look how they pray for those who abuse them. Look at the parameters of their prayer. There's no boundary. We talked briefly about the example of Nebuchadnezzar. You can read that on your own from Daniel chapter four, if you're taking notes, but this was a King that literally had lost his mind and God quickens his mind in a moment after seven years, eating grass like an ox, right? This was the King of Babylon, the King of the greatest empire of its day and age. 
And Nebuchadnezzar is quickened to the heart when he says these words, the dominion of the most high is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, but he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand. Maybe that becomes the prayer for some of those in our political realm, right? Our city, our state, our federal government, the world. Lord, give them a Nebuchadnezzar experience. Lord, sober them. Open their eyes, God. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. God turns it wherever he wills. God can do the impossible. Letter D, the reasons for prayer. As we move on here, Paul's going to give us some reasons for prayer. If you look in verse 2, he says, For kings and all who are authority that we may lead a what? Quiet and peaceable life. That word quiet, one of my favorite words, again, in the Bible, lots of favorites, okay? Um, but one of my favorites, truly, it's actually the word eromos. And as I, I think I was preaching last time, I shared with you about this word. It speaks to this desert, the idea of a desert experience. When it says that Jesus would go off, or when Paul went off into the desert, he went off into the eromos. He went into a place of solitude or quiet. And so Paul is talking about this idea of praying, of praying, if you will, for kings and so forth, that this may lead to a quiet. That is a place arising from the absence of outward disturbance, right? It's this place of inner confidence, of just inner satisfaction. So Paul's not talking about merely about a quiet and peaceable life so that we can get along with our politicians, right? Lest our head get taken off, okay? Or this and that happen. Paul's just talking about a place of just utter contentment. Paul's saying there is something intimately connected with our prayer life and our ability to be satisfied. You see, because God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him is what John Piper says. Let me repeat that again because it's worth saying. John Piper says that God's most glorified, be it in our prayers, when we're most satisfied in him, right? God wants us to take absolute delight in him. And so Paul's reminding us, hey, listen, there's an incentive here. As we pray according to God's heart, as our lives are ordered to what is, is on his order, there's an ability to just live in a content life, a quiet life. He goes on and uses the word peaceable. It speaks of a tranquility arising from within. And so I would like to remind you tonight that prayer produces peace. Prayer produces peace. It moves us from chaos to calm. If you're taking notes, let me repeat that again. There's just some bullet points in my notes. But the idea there, again, as we think about moving from disorder to order, that is, if you will, again, from chaos to calm, as we see here in the text already in two verses, is that prayer produces peace. Verse 3, he gives us another reason for prayer. He says, this is good and what? Acceptable. The word can be translated, pleases God. Prayer, like faith, pleases the Father, right? Hebrews eleven six. what does it say? Bible students, without faith, it's what? impossible to please God. The implication there is that God is then what? Pleased by our faith, right? He takes great joy in saying, my kids are trusting me, right? My kids are, are in it to win it with me. And it's also the way that we saw God create. Remember what God said when he created? He said, it is what? Good. This idea of this is good and pleases God, Paul's not just doing a play on words here. He knows, he's, he's hearkening back to the idea of creation here, the idea of God's order, as we'll get to in a few moments here. And so he's saying here is that this too, like, like creation, this too is good. You're going to find that. You're going to taste and see that God is good. You're going to taste and see that my ways, 
My orders are really good. Forget about Burger King, okay? But you're going to taste and see that this is good. It was exactly as God ordered. Second thing we find here after this verse is that pursuing right, God's pleasure produces a sense of paradise, a sense of peace. Orders move us from confusion to clarity. The purpose of prayer, as we found again, is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. Maybe you've heard that before. Let me repeat that again, that the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. We're reminded of, of course, the Lord's prayer, which I think could be better said to be the disciples prayer, right? There in Matthew, when he says your kingdom, your will be right on earth as it is in heaven, right? And so I think the idea here, folks, is that when we begin to prioritize our prayers, right? With his orders, we will begin to see heaven breaking through all borders, right? Creating order out of disorder. And that's not me just trying to bust a rhyme. Okay. But hey, I got the time. Just kidding. All right. Um, The idea here, though, in verse three, he gives us another reason, another reason for prayer. He says in verse three that God is our what? God's our savior. This is in contrast. They would have understood this in their day and age to the empire emperor of their day. Their emperor there at their day and age was the the guy by the name of Nero. How many have heard of Nero? Yeah, this dude was a wicked bad dude, right? This guy just did anything and everything he wanted, including making his own horse a counselor, right? One of his consuls. Uh, You might remember again that he took Christians, right? He said, you want to all be light of the world? No problem. He put them in oil, right? Lit them up and then stuck them on stakes, right? Outlining the entrance into the city. This guy was a bad dude. And Paul is saying, yet we should pray for him, right? I want my heart. I want what my heart is for him to be what your heart needs to be for him. But he's reminding him, he's saying, listen, but I'm your savior, right? Trust me. God is over even the governing authorities. Daniel 2.21 says, it is God who changes the times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. Folks, can I remind us tonight that God is in absolute control of what's going on in our world? I know COVID's happened. I know what's going on, the cray-cray in in terms of the political, you know, instability of our world and issues of racism and the like. I get it. I understand. These things grieve, I believe, even the heart of God. But God is on the throne. We see time and time again throughout the Bible. I mean, honestly, we'd be here till, you know, I don't know, Christmas, recounting the stories in the Bible where God uses what Satan, right, intended for evil. He uses for good. God redeems all things, all things. He's in the business of done that. He's been in that business since eternity past. And friends, I just want to remind us tonight, as difficult as that, some of that stuff for us to swallow, God says, I have one thing, one thing I want you to do. One thing I want you to be busy about. Busy about. First of all, I want you to pray. I want you to take this that serious that you really do believe that I can move the heart of kings. I set them up and I take them down. I can do everything in between. Do we really believe that church? Do we really honestly believe that? If you're like me, there are times I'm fretting. There are times I'm worried, right? There are times I'm like, what's going to happen? And God's like, I got it all taken care of. I'm in control. I'm still sitting on the throne. And that is our God. And so he reminds us, he reminds Timothy as he would be bringing us tonight. The reason for your prayer is that God is savior. God's the emperor. He's in charge. Is God calling the orders in your life? Even so much to pray for those that you would quite, quite honestly be reluctant and even indifferent to pray for. Do you want your life to be ordered by the father? 
Let me just say this tonight. While I appreciate the work of Christians to help bring about, you know, order in our society, I mean, politically and otherwise, again, I'm all for it. I believe we must first prioritize our lives by soliciting God for his orders. And I can't think of a better way to do that than, than in prayer. The second reason he gives us for prayer is he talks about the knowledge of truth. He reminds Timothy, listen, what we're talking about here, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is truth through and through. Not a nearly intellectual assent or an agreement with the facts, but it's a full knowledge. That translation, by the way, is actually the word full knowledge. So when he says it there, full knowledge and truth, he's talking about not merely the intellect. We know that because even the demons believe, right? And tremble, the Bible says. The demons know that God exists. James tells us that, right? Even the demons believe. But what we're talking about is a revelation from the father. You'll remember the words of Jesus, right? To Peter, right? Who do men say that I am? Peter responds, you're the Christ. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, my friend. But my father in heaven. And I believe that God wants to reveal his knowledge and truth, both to you and I, but his real heart is in all things for all people, all men. And that God, by extension, wants the world to know what his heart really is for all people. Amen. As I said, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of his kids to search it out. Do you and I really desire to know and follow God's orders? Do we really want to know what's on his heart? The third and last reason that we know that, um, that for reason for prayer is that God is able. We're told there in verse five, uh, I think it's verse four or five, is that he's one God. Why would Paul put that there? I mean, surely Timothy knows that, right? I think it's a reminder is he's the one. He's the one. It's one God. He's got it all in his hands. There is no other. You alone have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? He tells us again that he's both that, but he's also the mediator. He's the one who intervenes between the two, right? He stands, right? Christ stands in mediation. He stands in the gap. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And Paul ends here in this section here, we end verse seven, is that he's a herald. Paul would go so far to say, listen, God would even make me the chief of sinners to send to you as a messenger, Timothy, and by extension, the church today, declaring a message from town to town from the emperor. That's what a herald would do. A herald would deliver a message, not just from any authority, but from the emperor himself. The Bible tells us that we, by consequence, are heralds ourselves. That God has something he wants us to do. But let's get his heart on that. Amen? This leads us to the last and final point on prayer, the attitude in prayer. And I love this because it leads us into some roles here. And we'll see how far we get here tonight on this. He says the emphasis here is on men. When he says here in verse 8, if you read that there with me. He says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. This idea of holy hands is the idea of in faith and truth. It's the same word Paul used in verse five of chapter one, when he talks about a sincere faith. That word sincere literally means without wax. He's talking about a faith that is without wax. We don't really get that in our culture, do we? Right? Without wax. What are you talking about? Sin means without Sarah is wax. He's asking us to think back to the times of the Roman empire there in the Agora 
Where when you'd go shopping for pottery, right? You would never just pick up the first piece of pottery, put it in your bag and pay for it and move on. You would always, 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 if you knew anything about pottery, you would hold it up to the light of the sun. The sun, right? And you would hold it up and you would look for cracks. You see, any merchant that was looking to deceive, right, with a cracked piece of a pottery, they would put it back together again with wax. You would never notice the wax in the pottery unless you held it up to the light of God's truth, or if you will, to the light of the sun. And if it was something that was sincere, you would say, it's without what? Without wax. If it had wax in it, it was insincere. Insincera. And so Paul's reminding him here again that, listen, we want the men in our church to be those that are lifting up holy hands, that their outward reflection reflects something going on on the inner, that they are people of a sincere faith without wrath, right? Most of us know how prone we are, right, gentlemen, sometimes to wrath or anger. And he reminds him again, listen, this is the way I want you to act both in and out of the church. It's just denoting of some of freedom from irritation towards both God, but also our fellow man. It's a confidence towards God. He goes on and says, without doubting, without disputing. And so friends, um, what time do we normally end here, Mark? Sorry. They say back in the day when I grew up, we ain't got nowhere to go till breakfast, pastor. Um, but it's almost dinner. So what time y'all end? 10 minutes. Okay. Tell you what, <clears throat> I feel like, I feel like Rob kind of purposely gave me some of the harder passages here. So we're going to attempt to just touch on them a little bit. Okay. If I don't, I could get some trouble either that, or I just leave the stuff to somebody else. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it's a pretty powerful passage. I'm actually really excited. So we talked about men and you might think, well, he doesn't really seem to address the, the, the men very much and we'll find out why. So when God created man and woman, he made us the way we are right with difference of manhood and, and womanhood. And so I'm just prefacing a couple of items here so that we would be suited for the complementary roles. Typically, when you look at passages, usually they'll talk about, most scholars will talk about the idea of complementarianism or egalitarianism. This idea that, you know, everybody's the same, egalitarianism, or what most of us here, biblically speaking, would say that our roles as men and women are more in complement to one another, right? That is part of God's design. But I believe that the confusion of much of our society around the roles of men and women, friends, occur over the bait and switch of two often used terms. These come up in our edu- in education all the time. That's my field. And they're politically charged terms. But I want to speak to you quickly, if I may, about the terms equality and equity. We hear those all the time. And I think it's important to define these clearly because they're used interchangeably and it's caused tremendous confusion and t- tremendous difficulty, uh, both in and out of the church. Equality is this idea of the sameness, isn't it? Right? And it's rooted in the unity surrounding our being made in the image of God, isn't it? Right? We are made in the image of God, male and female. And I just, I I, I point this out because it's inherent that we understand that when the Declaration of Independence and documents of the like that talk about this idea of all people, all men, all people being created equal, right? It's the idea that these rights were never given by mankind. That's why they would write that they are irrevocable. Right? They can't be taken away. Why? Because the government never gave them to us in the first place. Rather, they were given by God. Right? They're inherent. Right? We don't assign value to people because of what they do for us. They're just already loved by God. Amen? They're already made in his image. And so we're not talking about equality, but oftentimes we use this word equity. And we use this a lot in education. And I love the word. 
but really it speaks not as sameness, but rather fairness, right? It's this idea of fairness and it's rooted in the diversity of our roles, right? Not in the unity, but the diversity of our roles, responsibilities, and resources. We do the here at this church, don't we? Right. With things like humanity showers, right. And the food pantry and the like, where we're looking to love people, right. That might be marginalized people on the outside, people that, that maybe some have nots even you with me. And the idea there is to recognize that there are inherent differences that may create a gap in, in resources, but then there's a demand of responsibility or roles in which we try to love them with the love of Christ. But the idea, the issue of confusion, I believe, is that in making demands for equity, like you hear in our world today, or fairness, (laughs) we have unwittingly created disorder, where we've been placed in order for sameness. Right? Let me say that again. And the idea that we pushed for equity, what's happened in much of our culture, that whether it's in the sexual revolution, or their gender, uh, you know, identity, or just in any role, even in just, in, in regular homes, we have this idea that there needs to be a sameness in The belief is that sameness will create equity, but sameness, I believe, simply undermines our God-given distinct roles. Um, Fair doesn't mean same. It's that way with our own kids, right? I've got kids at three different ages. I love them all the same. I love them, we might say, equally. But I do not treat them all the same. (gasps) Of course not. You would never give the keys to your 10-year-old, right, that you would give the keys to your 15 or 16-year-old to the car. You just wouldn't. It's not fair, Okay. I mean, when I say it's not fair, I mean, it's not the same, but it's fair. And I think this translates into our last piece that we'll look at tonight. When we think briefly, just briefly tonight, uh, as we get ready to land the plane um, about the roles of men and women, and we will not have time to unpack the entire text, but I would say this in response to the distinction God made in creating men and women, David Mathis said this out of God's desiring God ministries. He says, what's so arresting here for our purposes following Paul is that God didn't rush too quickly to form Eve at the same time so that there would be no discrimination or distinction. In fact, God seems to take his sweet time and strikingly. So parading every animal past Adam as a possible helper and all this very intentionally to make a point, God lingered precisely so that Adam and we might see that might see that not only are men and women wonderfully similar as humans, but also gloriously different in countless complementary, mutually beneficial ways. You know, he had a lot of things come before him, right? I mean, when when God was, when God had Adam name all the animals, he had all these animals come by him. He's naming them. He's like, "Eh, I'm not sure about that one. Right. The giraffe. Right. I mean, you know, sure. Nice legs, but a little too tall. Right. Or maybe it was the skunk. I don't know, man, maybe fluffy and cute, but a little stinky. Right. So I don't know how that worked out. I don't know, but God brings by the one that he knows complements him. And it was, Whoa, man, right? Okay. It was like unbelievable. This is the one. And God makes a helper, makes a compliment for him. And I don't know how that, how that alarmed Adam or how that worked, but I know this much. Distinction as well as diversity are both ordered and ordained by God. I sometimes, I think we're afraid of diversity. We're afraid that things might actually be different, right? And I have to believe that that's just not God's heart. Diversity is seen even in heaven where the Bible says that all nations, tribes, and people groups and tongues will be represented. Some of the very same differences we see now and here, we're going to see and hear in heaven. That blows my mind because I'm thinking, isn't it? Shouldn't it all just be the same? Aren't we all just equal? And yet there's a beauty folks, right? There's a unity in our diversity. I think it's our culture that has a hard time with this, you know, in the church. 
I think we're further, a little further along, but unfortunately we begin to take again, cues from some of our culture whereby we too become easily confused. And so I just would like to remind us again, that distinction was ordained by God to be distinct is inherent in being made in the very image of God. Think about that. That is that God created male and female differences is inherent in the very image of God. That to me is just so encouraging. Paul, Jesus affirms that right in, in several places in the Bible, but he affirms it in Matthew chapter 19, when he talks about God created them both male and female in it all. God is saying this, Adam, you're responsible. The greater weight falls on you. The command came to you. I made her for you, not vice versa. Your head, she's helper. If anything, men, right? The greater responsibility lies on us, right? To make some of those hard decisions, right? To have a backbone, right? To have a voice, to stand in the gap, to lead our families in prayer. And so headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership. Whereas we know that submission is the divine calling for a woman to honor and affirm her husband's leadership. Friends, perhaps I would just end by saying this tonight. The real test, I think, of whether we've grasped this biblical essence of manhood and womanhood and being okay that we are, in fact, different. It's okay to celebrate that is true and beautiful is whether Paul's application of it to the life of the church surprises us or offends us. And I just want to encourage us tonight as we begin to view our differences, as we begin to see, especially between male and female, that's his point here, is that I believe that God has something that he wants us as a church to lead out, right? In talking about, are we willing to take his orders? As a man, am I willing to own it at home? Am I willing to own it with the raising of my children? Or do I abdicate that responsibility and say, well, that's my wife's job. You know, for, for you women as well, I mean, that's what Paul gets at here. Are we willing to kind of, are you willing to submit to what God would order you? Not just with the way that you dress. He, dress, he addresses that here, but I think it's infinitely more important than just dress, right? Just as it was with the men about just holding up holy hands. It's not just the outside, but the beautiful, gentle, and quiet spirit within. And so church tonight, if I can just remind us of one thing before we leave and we'll pack it up, is that God is looking to reorder our world but I think he wants to start by reordering the church. I think he wants to come into a place of helping us to celebrate the things that he wants to celebrate, to pray about the things that are on his heart. And that out of that disorder, he wants to create beautiful order, just like he did at the beginning of creation said he might say it's good. It's real good. Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly father. Thank you so much for the ways that you direct us. Um, I'll invite the band up here. Thank you, band. Lord, thank you for the ways that you direct our steps. Thank you, God, that you order the ways that you order our minds anew. But Lord, would you not just order our minds anew so that it was just a, a good message or something interesting? But God, would you create heart change deep within us? Would you help us to be okay in our own skin? Lord, be it as male or female, be it as the roles in our homes, the roles in the church, God. Help us to be of, of strong, God. Help us to be those that step in to the beauty, Lord, of our diversity. Lord, the beauty of being female, the beauty of being male. Help us, Lord, more than that, to step into the role of, the, of being your kid. That we would come to you with supplications and intercessions, God. That we would come to you, Lord, with heartfelt prayers, Lord. Where like, or we start maybe with just, Lord, would you birth within my heart? What's on your heart? 
God, we want more of you here, Lord. We don't want to play the game of church. We don't want to just come in and out. We don't want to abdicate responsibility and roles, God. We want to be all in, God. We want to be all in, Lord. But we know that you've got great things yet still in store for our culture, our country, our world, our families. Lord, where there is disorder in our lives, God, allow us to be the first to say, Lord, I'm confused. Lord, I've got some things wrong. God, there's chaos. Things that have happened both to me and things that, if I'm honest, God, have have been things under my own control. By the loving, tender conviction of your Holy Spirit, God, would you come and move amongst us here tonight? Would you come and bring a semblance of peace and quiet that Paul describes from knowing that we've prioritized, Lord, you in our lives, God? Lord, where we've taken orders from society and self and even Satan himself, God, we pray that, God, you would help us, Lord, to be clued in, God. Help us to take our cues from you, God. I pray as we read your word, as we pray, as we seek fellowship, God, that you begin speaking, that your kids, Lord, would begin hearing. God, that you begin to move in our hearts in such a way, Lord, where you begin to reveal to us the hidden and secret things. And finally, Lord, I just pray for power to herald these truths, to herald the truths, Lord, beginning in our homes and not to shy away from biblical manhood and biblical womanhood or the power of prayer as a dad who gets on his knees, Lord, in his own home. And Lord, even in the church, God, would you help us to order our lives anew, Lord? Would you help us to live with power and purpose and unction, God? We want, Lord, what you want. We just love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time this evening. Be glorified in our time of worship. In Christ's name, amen.